We are over halfway through our, our series here called From the Start, looking at the first uh, 11 chapters of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and it begins oh so well in chapter 1. We see this good God who creates everything, spins out planets and trees and people. Uh, he creates them good, very good. He is seen walking, talking with these first people, with Adam and Eve. But then we get to chapter 3. It doesn't take long for things to kind of go downhill. Chapter 3 is what's known as the fall. And we see this, this kind of um, tumbling kind of stone getting bigger and bigger of, of the first peoples. They, they are tempted. They disobey God. They hide from him. They lie to him and blame each other. It's, it's not good. Unfortunately, as you just heard from Colby, chapter 4 doesn't get much better. In fact, it gets worse and worse and worse as we're going to see. The next generation after Adam and Eve just kind of doubles down on sin to, to see how bad they can be. And then in chapter 5, we're going to also look at, there's this kind of uh, genealogy. Um, there's, there's 27 different people named in these two chapters some that we're going to look at. Has anybody here uh, done any kind of genealogy study, ancestral study of kind of your heritage, people, maybe professions they did, where they lived, uh, last names? My, my aunt has done some work on the Warners, and when they came to America, uh, even looking back over to like the, the 1500s, there was... Um, uh, a, a religious person who was martyred. Um, I was really hoping they would be like, you know, some sort of Martin Luther kind of fighting for the Reformation, but I don't, I don't, I think they were actually Catholic and died as a Catholic. Um, you know, you can look at your, your history, your ancestors, your, your mom, your dad, whoever, and there's probably some, some good, some, some bad, um, sometimes even generational sin or, or secrets. This last summer, uh, my, my wife and I, we took a trip to New England. Uh, I've got a picture to show you guys up here. Uh, we went and stayed with some friends, and while I was in New England, I, I had to do this nerdy pastor thing and go to the memorial of Jonathan Edwards. He was a pastor in the 1700s, um, led uh, what's known as kind of the, the Great Revival. You know, there's nothing nerdier than, than going to like a graveyard with your wife on vacation, other than maybe like on your honeymoon going to see the Dead Sea Scrolls. Not that I did that. Yes, I did. Um, there, there was some research done, though, about Jonathan Edwards, and his heritage, people that came after him. Um, they looked at 729 of his descendants. 300 became preachers. 65 became professors. Uh, 13 university presidents. 60 authors. 3 uh, congressmen. 1 um, vice president of the United States. There were mayors, governors, doctors, lawyers, um, college graduates, 
even looking at like, um, did they, they cost the state anything? Nope, didn't do that. Pretty good, good heritage, right? People to follow and be like. There was also a study done of somebody else in the same time period. His name was Max Jukes. And they looked at about a thousand of his descendants. 300 died prematurely. Um, 100 were sent to jail, an average of 13 years. Uh, there were 190 who were public prostitutes. 100 drunkards, 7 murderers, 60 thieves, 310 paupers. And they counted up that that family has cost the state $1.2 million. Very different heritages and people to look to to be like or not. If that doesn't encourage you, inspire you enough, I, I found this song from 1992. Maybe some of you remember this. It says this. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike, like Mike. If I could be like Mike, be like Mike, be like Mike. Again, I try. I just need to fly. This was a 1992 Gatorade commercial. Maybe you remember this about Michael Jordan. He's playing basketball and, and he's drinking Gatorade the whole time. And at the end it says, be like Mike, drink Gatorade. Like out of the cool glass bottle too, right? There are so many different people in our world, in our culture, maybe your own background, heritage, you could say, yeah, I want to be just like that. Or the opposite, I don't want to be like that. So in our passage, these two chapters this morning, we're going to find four people, at least 27, four people that we can look to and say, yeah, I don't want to be like that one, but these, yeah, I really want to follow and be like. So, we're going to start off, though, with one person that we are told, New Testament old, to not be like, and that's Cain. Number one, if you're taking notes, do not let sin rule over you like Cain. As I said, you know, chapter three, it is this true, real story of the first people who disobeyed God. God says, you can eat at any tree, but this particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat from, and what they do, they ate from that tree. They disobeyed. They are um, cursed in different ways. They are kicked out of this, this paradise, this garden paradise, separated from God. And then sin begins to kind of grow, it kind of begins to, um, it doesn't just stay with that one thing, but begins to kind of stain their hearts and affect other generations and people and, and their own kids. It, it kind of multiplies. And this story of Cain, that we find the first brothers in the Bible, um, this major thing he does, doesn't just come out of nowhere even. It, it, it slowly grows in his own little heart. So chapter 4, it begins well, right? Uh, Eve is excited. She has one son. 
She has a second son, and she's excited. She, she names them kind of accordingly. They, they, names are very important in the Bible. They often will sound like something to have meaning to it. And that's what Cain has a meaning to it of, of help from the Lord. And they're brothers, and they both have jobs to do. They're, they're working side by side. Uh, Abel is, is keeping the sheep. Uh, Cain is kind of working the ground. It seems like this kind of happy little family. But, but, but I'm sure if you, if you grew up with a brother or sister or family or siblings of any kind, you know that um, it's not always happy, right? It's not always easy or little things can get in the way. I, I had one, uh, have one brother. Some of you have met him, Sean. He's four years younger. And he was just old enough, but just young enough, too, that we would kind of, he would get in my way, right? Um, I would try to be really nice to him and invite him to, like, things with my friends or youth group because I thought I should, but it kind of annoyed me at the same time. And we would fight. We would get each other. I, I just have this, this memory as a kid one time. I think I've told this before, where I did something to him I ran away and hid, and I, I just remember like hiding and then looking up and seeing him with his giant yellow dump truck being heaved over his head onto me and not remembering what happens next. <laughs> but it, it's in this, this good thing, they both bring offerings to God that some sort of jealousy and crack in their relationship begins to form. Cain, it, it, we're, we're told that he... He brings an offering to the Lord from, from the fruit of the ground. He brings something. Where Abel, it kind of goes in a little more detail that he brings of the, the first fruits of his, his flock. He brings of uh, the, the fat portions. Cain gives some things, but, but Abel seems to have, have given of, of first, of the, the best, the, the, the fat portion. You know, we, we have kind of this really negative stigma of, of fat in our society. Fat on food, be, be lean and all that. But, but really, like, you get a little fat in your bacon. You cook with some fat. You know, a little fat on your steak. It just adds, like, flavor. And that's the idea here that it's the, the goodness, the extra, the fat, the first. And so Abel is really, he's giving what is best and first to God, and Cain's just kind of, he's giving. There's, there's something deeper, an attitude maybe that's going on in Cain's heart. Just side note, like do this sometimes, this is the first time that we see in the Bible of people giving of an offering, giving to God. Uh, later on in, you know, the Exodus or Leviticus, it'll talk about different ways to do this, to make offerings of sheep or, or grain or a sacrifice, things like that. But this gets taken even further and further, even into the New Testament, talk about how we offer our entire selves to God. You know, we just practice this a little bit. We gave of our offering. Uh, sometimes we call it our, our tithe and offering. And, and the same principle applies to us today, that we don't want to just give of, okay, God, here's some stuff that I found. But the first, the the, the fat portion, the, the best of what we have to God. That's the idea of a tithe even, that it's the first 
the best that we are giving to God. It's a good heart check for us to think about. You know, am I giving of my best, my offering to God, or just um, whatever I find? Now, Cain responds right away. We see that he responds with anger. He is very angry in verse 5. His face falls. There's disappointment. There is frustration. I mean, maybe you can relate in some way when you see somebody else uh, getting something better. It says that, you know, God had regard for Abel's offering. He had regard for Abel instead. So Cain, is, he's jealous, he's angry, and, and maybe you felt that same way where, God, why, why did you bless them and not me? What? You've given them the better job, the, the bigger house, the newer car, and then you begin to kind of feel these emotions all of a sudden of anger and disappointment and, and depression and all these kind of things. What, what, what do you do with those emotions and feelings? Well, for Cain, they begin to fester and grow into this plan. And God, who knows all things, he knows this. He approaches Cain in verse 6. He, he goes to him and says, well, why are you angry? He gives him kind of an opportunity here. He warns him. Why are you angry? You should do well. Your brother, he gave of the best. And then he has this such an interesting line here that God says to him. He says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, and you must rule over it. This is still so true for our own lives. When, when you feel that burst of emotion and, and anger or, or whatever it is that kind of sets you off, or you feel tempted to sin, sin is crouching at the door. The, the picture I, I have in my mind is... It's from the, from the, the cartoon, the, the Lion King, when Simba is like learning to pounce, right? He's like hiding in the grass so much that you can barely see him, and then he pounces up and gets his prey. This is the picture here. It's like of this wild animal. This is what sin is, and it's, it's just waiting, waiting for this little crack in the door to open up and to bang the door open and to snatch and to come for us. When, when we talk about addiction and addiction ministry, helping people out, there's this idea of um, edging behavior. It's those steps that can kind of lead up to the action. Um, whether it's kind of hanging around certain people or hanging around the bar or smelling the alcohol or dreaming about it or, you know, looking at a swimsuit catalog or Googling some inappropriate content or looking up some things on social media. It's that edging, kind of opening the door just a little bit. And it is so dangerous, God warns us, to play with that fire, that animal, and here's the point for us too, right? Do not be like Cain. Do not let sin 
rule over you. You are to rule over it, to stop it. Well, Cain does not listen. Cain plans it out. He tricks his brother, leads him into the field, and kills him, seemingly feeling better. I mean, you know, who else is there to see him? Like, his mom and dad are the only people on earth. They're not there. It's not exactly true. I mean, God is there, and God knows and sees. He even says he sees where Abel's body lies, and so God confronts him. He says to Cain, you know, these kind of similar questions that he approached Adam and Eve with, you know, where, where is uh, your brother? What's, what's happening? And he lies. He kind of tries to not take blame for himself, and, and but he is the one who lets sin rule over him. He's the one that did the deed, killed his brother, and God knows about it. Now, I, I have been, you know, mad, uh, frustrated at my own brother many times. I, I never killed him, thank God, by his grace. But it's interesting to, to look at how the New Testament even looks at this own passage. Like 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 11, says, This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Here's the really important part. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. The first sermon I ever preached was on that passage, actually, and uh, I, I use this phrase, EGR, extra grace required. There are just certain people in our life that require extra grace. They make us mad and frustrated, and we just need a little extra grace. And God says, even that anger, that hatred is equal in God's eyes to the sin of murder. And so Cain is cursed. He is uh, said that he will be a wandering kind of fugitive. He even kind of complains about his punishment and he doesn't accept that even. And God even shows him mercy by saying, okay, I will put a mark on you, protect you. Now, the rest of chapter four is um, this kind of storytelling genealogy of, of Cain's descendants compared to Um, Adam and Eve's new son, Seth. There's this interesting little little phrase at the end of chapter 4, verse 26, that says, At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So, we're going to see now in chapter 4, these two bloodlines, Cain's genealogy, bloodline, this new one of Adam and Eve's new son, Seth. One kind of begins to descend uh, away from God, and one, they begin to call upon the name of the Lord. 
So number two here, person to be like this time, is stand out from a, a godless culture like Seth. Verse 17, 18 in chapter 4, uh, Cain then goes away from the presence of the Lord. That's, like, that's not a good thing, right? We should never have that in our life. That's part of his maybe disregard for, for, for God and all of his ways. He's told to be a wandering person, but he then settles and builds a city. He goes away from the presence of the Lord. He's not willing to even be by God. doesn't want anything to do with him. This never turns out well for anybody, you, me, when we do this. But it goes into kind of his genealogy, which is sometimes hard, boring, right? When we read that in the Bible, but there's Enoch and Irad and Mahujael. And they give these little hints of things they're doing, though. In verse, verse 20, it talks about, you know, these were the first people to dwell in tents and have livestock. They're, they're creating a livelihood for themselves. They're... Um, doing more with animals and livestock and cows. And, and then in verse 21, we get these people were the first ones to make music, to play the lyre and to play the, the pipe. And then in verse 22, these first people to forge instruments of bronze and, and iron, um, maybe weapons even. So they're, they're beginning to create a world for themselves, a, a culture, you know, music and instruments and weapons, and there's some good and some bad, but this is all um, away from the presence of God, it talks about. Yes, there's advancement in humanity, but any advancement in humanity, technology, medicine, all that travel without God will only get you so far. And it's not just in like this technology that they're advancing in their culture. It's even in their, in their, uh, their, their broken relationships. It's even in marriage, in moral advancement. Uh, verse 20 or 19, it talks about Lamech. He's the first man to take two wives. And then in verse 23 and 24, he begins to brag to his new wives uh, about how he killed somebody. Right? He's kind of, it's like this new song he's singing in verse 23 and 24, like, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. I mean, he's trying to like brag to his, his wives that he has for killing somebody. This is how far sin is beginning to creep in, that it's not just God's plan of, of marriage, one man, one woman together, two wives, murder, bragging about it. And then he kind of like presumes on God that God will even protect me. And you know, he protected Cain in this sevenfold vengeance. Seventy-seven times he will protect me. And it's, it's not hard <laughs> to, to look around today and to see that we live in a godless culture, right? Some of the values, the, the morals that are being advanced in different parts of, uh, of America, in Iowa, in our world, it's, it's, it's hard. It, it is terrible. But there's this little glimmer of hope, like I said, the very end. 
verse 25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born. He called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So in the midst of this reminder about Cain's sin, killing his brother, there's this contrast to people began to call upon the name of the Lord. I listened to this podcast recently from an interview of a guy who is looking at our culture and he was trying to view our culture as a Christian and saying, what does our culture view us as? And he's kind of seen this switch that maybe 50, 70 years ago, there was a positive view of Christians. If you were a Christian, it was almost better for you to get a job, to have morals and high standing, and and that was good. He said it then kind of became neutral to be a Christian, but today it's seen as more negative. If you are a Christian, firm believer, conservative, um, it is harder to get a job in Silicon Valley or Hollywood or D.C., There is a negative view from our culture. So it is difficult. It's hard to live differently in a culture, godless culture. But here's what we have. A line, a people, something happened that caused them to call upon the name of the Lord. So this is a good question for you to think about. How do you, with your home, your, your family, your future generations, your legacy... How will you do that? Stand out in this generation. Maybe it's, it's these commitments you make to, you know, be here Sunday morning or Wednesday night with your, your kids. Maybe it's as simple as praying before meals. <laughs> Even when you have family over or friends over, that this is what we do. This is who we are. Refusing to watch certain movies or TV shows or, um, I don't know. How do you stand out in a godless culture? Well, let's read on to the next section here, the first five verses of chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. We see this repetition going on here of kind of chapter 1, chapter 2, of being made the image of God. But what we're also going to see is kind of death. <laughs> And there's one little highlight in these verses here of a guy named Enoch. So number three, in the face of death, walk with God like Enoch. For for the rest of this whole chapter, we're going to see these two related things. The genealogy, but there's two things. We're going to see this kind of blessing of long life and this phrase, and he died. 
I mean, you've got these people like Adam and Seth and Enosh, and they have these crazy long lives of 930 years, 910 years, 895 years, 365 years. Maybe it was their, their diet, uh, the way the world was before the flood. Maybe it's just kind of God's way of blessing them. But I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I can't imagine like living a thousand years ago and still being alive today, like back 1,022, like before uh, water and running toilets and cell phones. I, I don't know if I want to do that, but there's this phrase every single time then about every single one of these people, and he died, and he died, and he died every single time. There's this contrast that God is blessing them with long life, but saying, yes, because of you, eating of the fruit of this tree, disobeying me, surely you will die. It is going to happen. Until, until we get to this one little strange phrase in verse 21 to 24, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. And then in verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. It's so small, but instead of, and he died, like all the rest of the people around him, he walked with God in the face of death. And just an example, this is what sin then causes. He decides that I'm going to walk with God. And God blesses that. And in Hebrews chapter 11, talks about that he pleased God in some way. He walked with God that we are to do the same, that when we see terrible things around us, when we see a godless culture, when we see death, that we are to continue walking with God. And God uses this phrase over and over again throughout the Bible. We are to walk with Him. Even uh, coming up in, in, in Noah, Noah walked with God. In Deuteronomy, it says, you shall walk in all the way the Lord your God has commanded you. Or in bad ways in 2 Kings, but Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord. Or Micah chapter 6, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Or the most, I think, pointed one in New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Then later on, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Sometimes we use that phrase, like, how's your walk going with God? It's this idea of going forward, steady, God at your side. Wherever he's directing you, you are going. You are on pace with him. Not turning in the other direction, not running ahead of him, not walking, being with God. As we come to our last point here, um, if you've been around my preaching for any time, you, you, you know this, you see this, that I often like to 
hide or put my, my application right in my, my point. So if you remember nothing else from today, maybe remember these application points, do these things, you know, stop letting sin rule over you, you know, stand out, walk with God, and just to be like forthright with you and honest, I don't know if anybody can do those things. I, I think I'm actually kind of setting you guys up for failure on purpose. I don't know if any of you, if I am strong enough to do these things, to walk with God every single day, to stand up to a godless culture that is against you every single day, to stop sinning. I can't stop sinning without some sort of help. We need something more, something better than just on our own, be strong enough, do better. And that's why I think this last point, this last thing we're going to wrap up with is so important. This last name we're going to look at, there's something more that he does. He's put your hope in the only one who can provide relief, as this guy Lamech does. Pick it up with me in chapter 5 at um, verse, well, let's go verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground the Lord had cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. There's these similar you know, gene genealogies here again. They're kind of comparing these two. Cain's line, Seth's line. There's similarities about death. He died and names and all this. But in the end, there's these two Lamechs. Cain's future Lamech had two wives. He's bragging about what he did. And then this, this, this Lamech here in chapter 5, a different person, he has this hope. He has this looking to the future of something better. He's seen all of the death, the cursing, the, the lying, all the pain. He looks to some sort of relief. And his, his hope, his relief is in his son, in, in, in Noah. That's kind of what his name means is hope, relief. Hope from the, the painful toil even though God had cursed the ground. And as we're going to see that, yes, Noah walks with God, but Noah is not even the answer. But his idea of putting your hope in something, in someone, I think again gets picked up again, is, is realized in something greater. Right? We are to put our hope as believers in Jesus in the only one who can truly do these things. This guy Noah can't really do this. He can't really provide relief from their pain, from, from, from the toil, from, from all this. But it's only through Jesus that we can have true relief. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 says, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. You know, I started with this looking at Jonathan Edwards and his line, his, his legacy and different people you can be like. 
But Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, they give us something similar. They talk about all these people that had faith. Talk about Abel having faith, Moses having faith, all these. But then we get to chapter 12, and this is the point for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what I want to close off with today, is that our hope is only in Jesus. He is the only hope we have to free us from that daily fight of sin ruling over you, the only hope that we have to stand up in a different world, different culture, to put our hope only in Him, that we might walk with God through Jesus. So, pray with me now. Father, we look to you, the author, perfecter of our faith, and we acknowledge that uh, we are not perfect, we are not sinless as much as we fight and try and, and I, I know that I can't. I lose my temper, I get angry, I sin. And so, God, we look to you now that you would be our hope, our, our, our help in this time through the hard things that we deal with, through family issues, that, God, we might really have a true, better legacy with our kids, our grandkids, people around us because of our ultimate hope in Jesus. Ah, God, we thank you for your strong name. We call upon you now and worship you. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.